Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today we're going to continue our study through the book of Psalms, looking today at Psalm 13, and the title of our study is How Long? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word, as we talked about last week, is true, that it is tied to your holy, majestic, awesome character. And so, Lord, as we consider this text today, may our response be one filled with confidence, filled with hope in the reliable word of God. And Lord, where we lack this, this confidence, this joy, as it's revealed in your word, Lord, I pray that you would help us. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that your word is not only true, but that your word reveals your son, Jesus. And that the promises of God are unchanging because you, Lord, are unchanging. So, Lord, I pray that as we open this text that you would open our ears and open our hearts to be attentive to the truth of your word and that you would use it as you promised in Isaiah 55, 11, that it will not return without void, that your spirit will use it in our lives for our good to bring conviction, to bring comfort, to bring encouragement, to bring correction. So I pray, Lord, today for your help. As we look at this text, help us, Lord. Help us to see the truth. And help us to obey the truth that is revealed in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 13. And Psalm 13 says this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful, bountifully with me. This is the reading of God's holy, precious word. I begin today with a question, and the question is, have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? Have you ever felt that God seemingly doesn't care? 
Have you ever talked to somebody who said, where, where is God in the midst of the pain that I'm feeling? Where, where is God in the midst of, of my grief? Where, where is God in the midst of my suffering? Now, some people don't feel this way. In fact, very few people might, might ever say this out loud. Because they've been taught that some Christians don't experience this at all. A good Christian always experiences the abundant life, happiness now, the victorious Christian life. And so they're worried that if, if they say what they're thinking, their Christian friends are going to look down on them. They're, they're, and they're going to be confronted and they're going to be called to repent. And maybe they'll even question their salvation. And, and so they keep up appearances and they keep their questions to themselves. And they can't shake the feeling that God has turned away from them. I am here today to blow a major hole in that idea. And it's not even just, or the psalmist is going to blow that away like the wind in the deserts. It will go away. But you need to know that God's word is true. That your feelings don't run on the same level as God's word. God's word is to interpret our feelings. It provides the basis for our very lives. It is our rule. It is our faith. The standard for our faith. And you need to know that you're not alone in feeling that you're alone. And yet there is one in the Lord who is always with you. He is always, always with you. He has never left you. He has never forsake you. There is not one place that you can go because God goes before you. He goes alongside of you. He is behind you. But most importantly, Christian, he indwells you through the Holy Spirit. He's teaching you the truth of God's word. That's what the ministry of the Holy Spirit does. He is aiming to take the truth that you read, that you study, that you meditate, that you memorize, and he's aiming to drive it deeper into your heart, into your life, so that you'll grow in the grace of God. But it wasn't, it's not even just the psalmist that expressed this question. Charles Spurgeon, that great 19th century preacher, once announced from the pulpit of London's metropolitan, uh, metropolitan Tabernacle, I am the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever gets to such extremes of wretchedness as I go to. And that was not unusual for him. Ten years earlier, he had been honest and vulnerable as he introduced a sermon from Isaiah 41:14 saying this, periodical tornadoes and hurricanes will sweep over the Christian. He will be subject to as many trials in his spirit as trials in his flesh. This must I know, if it be not so well with all of you as it is with me. I have to speak to myself day by day, and whilst I be endeavoring to encourage those who are distressed and downhearted, I shall be preaching I trust in myself, for I need something which shall cheer my heart. My soul 
is cast down within me. I feel as though I'd rather die than live. I need your prayers. I need God's Holy Spirit. And I feel that I could not be, preach today unless I should preach in such a way as to encourage you and to encourage myself in the good work and the labor of the Lord Jesus Christ, dear friends. This is the Prince of Preachers. Consider one of the best, if not the best, preachers in the history of the English-speaking world. And he is telling you that he has met his match. He has faced down depression and struggled with it. And if you, let's be honest, if you've walked any length of time in Christ, you know what Spurgeon means. You, you have felt the same way at times. There's, there's days when your prayers feel empty, when Bible reading is just seems like letters on a page, and you feel that God is nowhere near you. And how good it is to know that, that King David, who's the writer of this psalm, he experienced this too. <laughs> After all, we might think, you might think, here's David, he's a He's a man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13, 14 tells us. The prophet Samuel anointed him. He was a king. He was a general. He was an author of scripture. He was an ancestor of Christ. And yet Psalm 13 tells us, in his own words, he describes a time when he felt that God turned away from him. And what's more, David was a prophet. In the Psalms, he's speaking about Christ. And so this is the experience of our Lord Jesus in his humanity too. If David could be honest with us, we should be able to be honest with ourselves and with each other. And so Psalm 13 doesn't end with David's questions. If we feel like God has abandoned us, we should abandon ourselves to discouragement. But And yet we need to turn to God in faith like David did to find joy, to find peace that he experienced in the end. This is why God has given us, friends, his promises. We have an anchor for the soul. We need, as Hebrews 12, 1 calls us to, we need to look to Jesus. This is why 2 Corinthians 1.20 is so vital. All of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. What a precious treasure that we have in the word of God that reveals the person and the work of Christ. Psalm 13, it begins in verses 1 and 2 with David's honest questions, and it ends with David's joyful confidence in verses 5 through 6. And the hinge at the center is David's prayer in verses 3 through 4, where David calls out to the very God who seems so far away. And eventually the shadows part and the light shines once again on his heart. And we don't know how long the process of Psalm 13 is. We don't know. We don't know the length. Did it take an hour? Did it take a day? Did it take a month? Are we talking years? We don't know. And yet however long it took, David moved out of darkness as he called out to the very God who seemed to have abandoned him. And yet David wrote this psalm from his own personal experience and gave it to the choir master so that we could follow this same path from darkness to light. 
And David starts by asking God the honest question that often flares up in a crisis. He feels like God has abandoned him. Psalm 13, 1 through 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul all and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And so we know this right, right away. Maybe you did too in the reading of God's word here. Four times the question, how long? Feels like trouble. It feels like sorrow. It feels like grief. Is It's never ever going to end. It's easy, we say. Time flies when you're having fun, but the hours crawl by when life is hard. A week in the hospital is longer than a, a month of good health and exercise. We can put up with something if we know how long it is, right? But trouble, hard times are hard. Your endurance wears thin. Your nerves become frayed. We can, be, we can usually stand under short, sharp trials. But yeah, you put us in a long one. And it grinds at us till it seems like we're nothing. And, and to make matters worse here, David doesn't seem to know why this is happening. There's no confession of sin in Psalm 13. There's no repentance. There's no guilt that seems to be hindering God's blessing. For some reason that is hidden to David, it feels as if God has turned away from him. And so what are some reasons we might feel that God has turned away from us, we must ask. Well, sometimes we're just plain tired. Elijah was emotionally exhausted after confronting the prophets of Baal on Mount Karma. He needed sleep. You see, we get, we get tired. A young mother doesn't get much sleep if they have an infant. They doesn't. She's perpetually exhausted. You might own a business and you can't stop because... You know, your, your employees need training, they need supervision, and so on and so forth. And revenues are down, or you're, you're facing seemingly difficult odds. And so you're tired, and you feel that God is far away, and you're asking how long. You might have a long-term illness, or maybe you have COVID, or something else. Or maybe a family member does, has a long-term debilitating disease or maybe you know you're unemployed and that's been months or years that that's happened you can't find a job you might have a, a child with special needs and the stress of caring for them has maybe even taken a toll on your marriage you might be caring like I am for for somebody even from a distance or maybe up close and personal somebody with dementia or Alzheimer's or another memory illness and that takes Lots out of you and you wonder how long. And maybe you were transferred into a dead-end job at the company. You wonder if they'll be downsizing. The road is long and you wonder how long. You might feel that God has turned away because of an accident or something else. How long? It might be a problem in your family. You were happy and you when you got married, but now... You don't seem to get along. Why is, why is God not blessing your family? Your family was happy when the kids were young, but now a prodigal brings tension to your marriage. 
You thought that if you followed the instructions and the principles set forth by your pastor and other teachers of God's word that your kids would turn out the right way. Or maybe you, you're single and you want so badly to get married and you're saying with David, how long? Well, we can trace four downward steps in this passage in this feeling that God has withdrawn his blessing. First, David complains that God has forgotten him. He, it feels that like God no longer cares enough to pay attention and take special care of him as a beloved child. And so we think to ourselves, if he remembered me, he would not allow this to happen, and he certainly would not allow this to go on. Can God forget us? Of course not. Isaiah 49, 15 through 16 says this. Can a woman forget her nursing child that, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, and yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. You see, our hearts tell us that we have forgotten. Satan wants us to believe that we are an orphan on a corner. And we know this is not true because in John 14, 26, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he tells us there that, that we will not be orphans. He goes to prepare a place for you. Home. That, that's, that's where our home is, Christian. Our home is not here on earth. No matter how nice your home is or not very nice, no matter how great your church is or is not, no matter how amazing your friendships are or family relationships are or on and on and on, this world is not your home. And we need to remember that because we can be tempted to only see the here and now. In fact, that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us only to think in terms of what am I going to do now? What am I going to do next? And we become so fixated on our circumstances that, we've, that we forget that we have the treasure that is revealed in the Word of God. And that, that treasure testifies from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between of the mercy and the grace of God revealed in the Scriptures. And we need this. The next step down is it feels like God has hidden his face. This is worse. This is rejection. If God had only forgotten and then he re remembers me, he will do something. But if he has hidden his face, then he knows that I am there and is consciously turning away. And so the hiding of God's face is an expression for alienation, for curse. How terrible to feel like God has turned against us. It's, it's natural in these types of situations to, to focus on ourselves, to look inwardly. And that's the third step. We take counsel in our own soul. Verse 2, we, we ask ourselves, why this happening? We might even start dredging up our past sins, replaying memory after memory of them. Well, we know that we're saved by grace, and yet we wonder whether God has really forgiven us. And maybe he is punishing us, we think, for what we did. He has decided to take it out on us. Our, our thoughts become dark. We replay them over and over and over again, the most evil things that we do, and we become 
downcast and sorrowful. And at the, at the bottom step, David wonders how long that his enemy will triumph over him. David fought against the Philistines his whole life. He was on the run from King Saul for about eight years. And the ancient Near East was a very violent place. Most of us do not have human enemies trying to kill us, but we all have two great enemies. In 1 Peter 5.8, we have a, it tells us that, we, that Satan is a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. He's the enemy of our souls, and death is the great enemy of us all. In fact, some scholars think that David is thinking of death as his enemy. When darkness descends into our hearts, I can feel like death will swallow us up whole. And David felt like he was about to collapse under the weight of his unrelenting burden. We might feel the same way, but ultimately this psalm points us to Christ. It was hard for Christ to endure this world of sin for 33 years. At one point in his ministry, Jesus said this in Mark 9, 19, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' heart was in such anguish that he sweat drops of blood. Enormous strain and inner turmoil. And ultimately, God did hide his face from Christ. Jesus called out on the cross in Matthew 27, 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Christ carried our sins in his own body, God did turn his face away from him. And we might feel that, that God has turned his face away from us. But if we're Christians, we, we know this isn't true. Jesus was forsaken for us and for our salvation. Now, David didn't, didn't leave us with these dark questions. He shows us the way out of darkness into the light. And, he, and he pray, his prayer in verses 3 through 4 is the turning point of this psalm. David prays to the very God who seems to be very far away, who seems to have abandoned him. And, and although his heart tells him that God has turned away, David doesn't believe his own feelings. He doesn't, he doesn't say, ah, yes, I'm the worst loser in the world. I'm, I'm the most insignificant of them all. Instead, he, he doesn't plead his feelings. He pleads with God to hear him, to answer him. He says this in verses 3 through 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. See, David's faith is tenacious. By faith, he holds on to his relationship with God and calls him Yahweh my God. He would not be torn from the the arms of God. The word consider in verse 3 might be translated look. David is saying to God, look, answer me, give me light, give me help. Three requests he gives here. He prays with the passion and the confidence of a man who knows what it means to trust the Lord. To him, to David, the Lord is my God in verse 3. And so to raise the stakes, he reminds us that if God doesn't turn to him, then the enemies will win. God had promised to bless David, and David suddenly reminds God that if he fell, God would default on his promises. The enemy would see that God had not been faithful to keep his word. 
And so God's character is on the line. God had committed himself to David, and David prayed on the basis of those promises. God has, has committed himself to us in Christ. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so hear me when I say this. When our hearts are full of questions, and we wonder why God has left us, that is the time to hold fast to the promises contained in the word of God. We need to pray, and we need to have our prayers shaped by God's word. And the temptation then, instead, is to turn elsewhere besides God. God said to the people of Jeremiah in his day, in Jeremiah 2, 13, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In fact, when our, when our hearts tell us that, that, we're, that God is far away, we need to remind ourselves we're talking about the God who made heaven and earth. We're talking about the God who made us in his image and likeness. We're talking about the God who sustains this world by the word of his power. And every single way, God is good. And not only that, God sent forth, God the Father sent forth God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be born under the sentence of death to pay the penalty for us and to be buried in our place and for our sin. And so we need God. We don't need to accuse God. We need God. We need to have our faith shaped. We need to, as Lloyd-Jones once said, we need to remind ourselves of who God is and, and what God is like. We need to remind ourselves of what the Word of God says. Again and again and again, because we are so prone to forget. In fact, the very first step of faith is, is to turn to the very God who seems to have abandoned us. When it feels like God is far away, that's when we need to pray the most. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Jeremiah 29.13-14 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Notice what he said. You will seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your hearts. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus promises, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will, what? Again, find. Knock, it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks does what? They find. And the one who knocks, it will be open. You see, our Lord Jesus strengthened his heart through prayer. He prayed all the night, several times during his ministry. He prayed in the, the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. He prayed on the cross in Luke 23, 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The writer of Hebrews describes his passionate prayer this way in Hebrews 5, 7. In days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. We need to follow the pattern of Jesus here. Turn to God, pour out your heart to him. If you're a Christian, if it feels like God has abandoned you, 
Don't believe your heart. Don't believe your feelings. Turn to the Lord. Say to God, you are my God. And pray knowing, believing that he has revealed himself in his word and that his word clearly teaches. He knows. He cares. And because of Christ, he loves you. And so as David settled his heart through prayer, the Lord gave him light. David's prayer turns to confident joy. David declares his confidence in the character of God in verse 5, saying, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Now the grammar shows that he trusted God at a specific moment in time. David could point to a moment in time when he said, Lord, I do trust you. No matter what's happening, I'm deciding right now that you are good, and I'm going to trust your promises. David made a steadfast, conscious decision to do as the psalmist did in Psalm 42 and 43, hope in God. Steadfast love, as a Hebrew word has said, it's, it's not the love in the sense of, you know, warm fuzzies or kumbaya or something like that. Steadfast love, it means God's loyalty to his promises, his commitment to his people. It is a covenant love. When a husband vows to love his wife until death do us part, this is the steadfast love of God. He will not always feel warm fuzzies for her. He might even feel angry or frustrated or upset, but if he is a good man, he will be committed to her and, be, and faithful to her and will care for her and love her. God has committed himself by covenant to his people like a faithful husband to his bride. David trusts in God's committed love. And because he trusts in God, David hopes in the Lord. He, he looks to the future saying in verse 5, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Salvation in this sense means it means complete well-being. God will meet every need. David means uh, means more than just knowing his sins are forgiven. As wonderful as that is, he means complete salvation, comfort for his heart, quiet for his mind, healing for his body, complete safety, perfect peace. God is not just saving our souls. He's saving our bodies, our mind, our heart, our soul, our spirit, our senses, our eyes, our hands, our feet, our thoughts, our emotions, our relationship, everything that we are. And one day God will say this in Revelation 21, verse 5. Behold, I am making all things new. Let me say that again. God says in Revelation 21, 5. Behold, I am making all things new. And yet David had not yet received what God promised. He looked forward to and rejoiced to see God's salvation in the distance. This is the way it's always been for the people of God. We, we look forward by faith for the blessings that are to come. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a real hope, hope that sees the future. That's going to give you joy in the midst of whatever trials and whatever struggles that you have today. God's promises are so real and they're so big that having them changes everything. <coughs> you might not think that's true. You might not think that's true in the midst of your marriage right now. Or in the midst of struggling financially right now. You might not think that's true in the midst of you're struggling with your job or some other situation in your life. 
there was a situation where I felt completely despair. There was a time in my relationship with my mom that I thought, wow, I don't have anywhere to go. This, uh, this mentor in, in high school dropped me off at my mom's home and he said, you're going to be fine. You're going to go into that house. I'm going to make sure everything is cool. Well, it turned out my mom was in Southern California and my parents divorced and she was dating somebody else at this time. And I was scared out of my mind because my mom had said, not right now, you're not going to live here. But here was a guy I trusted, I believed, I took him at his word. And I knew exactly where the key was and my mom knew where the key, I knew where the key was. And I went and got the key that was hidden and I went inside. I sat on my bed in my mom's condo in the Seattle area and I wept like a little schoolboy. I cried. I was very scared and I was wondering Lord, are you going to help me? How long is this going to go on? And finally, after all the tears had gone, I, I prayed and asked the Lord, Lord, would you just help me to sleep? What, what helped me go to sleep was the promises of God. And by the way, <laughs> I read the Psalms over and over, I probably read over 30 psalms just lying on my bed. You see, God's promises, they're real. When I've had a hard day, you know what I do? I remind myself of the promises of God in the Word of God. I remind myself that I have an unchanging God. I remind myself until I once again believe it. Again and again and again. Casting my anxiety, casting my hurt, casting my struggles on the Lord. Reminding myself of who the Lord is and what he's done and what he's like as revealed in the word of God. That's, that's, what, that's what it means to have a confidence in the word of God and in the person and work revealed in the word. But scripture has much more to say about this. In Philippians 3, 20 through 21, Paul says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's the power of our God. And just think about this, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Hope in God. Your circumstances may not change. They might not ever change. But if you believe that God's word is true, you're going to be filled with joy. This world is not your home. This is cross time. Heaven will be crown time. You need to look beyond your trouble today to see the great future that God has for your tomorrow. 
This was our Lord's experience. Our Lord Jesus looked beyond today to see tomorrow. He set his hope on God. He believed the promises of God. He trusted him to save. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus, the author of our faith, set his hope on what's to come. If we're following him, we need to look ahead to the joy that God has for everyone who loves him. See, Psalm 13 is not just the pathway that David walked from darkness to light. It is the pathway that our Lord Jesus followed during his earthly life, and it's our pathway too. With, when, the, when the clouds lifted, David saw the blessings that had been all there all along. Psalm 13, verse 6 says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, God's bounty is nothing less than all of his generosity that he pours out to his people every day. And when his heart was heavy and his eyes were dark, David was blind to the good things God was, was doing today and the good things he had stored for tomorrow. He was blind to God's blessing, and when he turned to God in prayer and fixed his hope on God, he sang for joy at God's generosity. And if you're a Christian today, you feel that God has abandoned you. I can't tell you when the emotional darkness is going to lift. But I can tell you that if you're a Christian, you already have the presence of God. He lives inside of you by the Holy Spirit. You are following the very footsteps of godly men and women who have gone before you. David felt abandoned by our God, but our Lord Jesus was truly forsaken by God. And he paid that penalty in our place and for our sin. And he rose. And when the clouds lift and the light shines on you again, you're going to see his face. And you're going to know that he's been right there all along with you. He's the one that has been carrying you through. For now, you need to call out to God in prayer, the very God who seems so far away. You need to remind yourself who God is and what God is like. You need to hope in him. His promises are true. His word is sure. He's never going to, he's never ever going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. See, this is the hope that we have in God. I remember when my parents got divorced. I remember. I felt like, Lord, how long? How long is this? How long is this going to hurt? It hurt a long time. That might be you today. You, you, you might be hurting. And you might feel that, where is God? Where is God in the midst of my hurt? How long do I have to feel this pain? I've shared before that in October of last year, I lost my dear mentor and friend. It's hurt. There's some days when it hurts so bad, I sit at my desk and I cry. And then I have to take the rest of the day off. Be okay. Some days are going to hurt. Jesus said in, in John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But remember, in the midst of the tribulation, you have the King of kings and the Lord of lords, dear Christian. You have his promises. And, and you need to have a local church because you need to have friends to share with, to, to, to cry with, to give you a hug, to pray for you, to listen to you, to care about you. 
when you're saying how long. There's been many times, and I and I could I could I could be on here for for hours, where I've said how long, Lord, how long is this going to hurt? How long is this going to go on? Why does this even have to happen? And that's even knowing why it's happened. It's because of sin. But we have a Savior in the person and work of Christ. And his work is enough. That's why Jesus said in John 19.30, not maybe it's finished. He said it is finished. It is signed. It is sealed. It's delivered. Dear Christian, you have all of the treasures of God in the word of God. You have all the promises of God. And not only do you have all the promises of God, you have, you have the privilege of calling out to God. Unlike, unlike under the Old Testament, where they could only approach God because they were ceremonially and ritually clean. Today, we are clothed in the perfect, spotless righteousness of Christ alone. That's why Hebrews 4, 14, or Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Because Jesus has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. He has removed the white-hot fury that burns against sinners. If you're not a Christian, you can't approach the throne of grace. For you, it's a throne of condemnation. But it can be a throne of grace for you. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You can be saved. Today you might think that means I'm just a good person like the majority of the population does. You might think that I'm going to get to heaven because of my good works, because of what I've done. And yet the Bible tells us very plainly in Romans 3.23 and 6.23 that all have sinned, all have fallen short. And then it tells us that we're in need of rescue, the rescue that only Christ can offer, that only Christ can fulfill through his, and he has, through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that it's only because of what he's done that you can be saved. Not because of yourself, not because you walked down an aisle, not because you shook somebody's hand, not because you took somebody's confidence, not because you confessed your sin to somebody, but because you agreed with God that you are a sinner and that Christ is a sufficient Savior and that only because of that can you be saved. Only because of the, the perfect, spotless righteousness of Christ imputed to you by faith 
through the work of the Spirit, can you be saved? You see, God is at work in this world. He's at work. He's saving people day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, second after second. Even even if you split a, a second in half and not even half a second, not even a quarter of a second, one third of a, of a, of a second, unless God is saving people. God is building his church. God is ruling. He is orchestrating his provident, providential decrees throughout the creation and throughout all of time and space. See, in our world today, we don't believe this. We believe that history is moving willy-nilly in whatever direction we want. But we serve a God who is immutable. He is unchanging. He is unlike us. He is outside of our time. He is outside of our space. And so we can trust him. We can take him at his word. And this affects us right down to the very question of how long. Because if we understand that, that God is present and that he is everywhere, that he's beside us, he's before us, he's behind us, he's, he's covering us, he's with us, and he indwells us through the Holy Spirit. As we come out of these times of asking how long, we're going to see that not only was God, not only was God fulfilling his promise, but yes, God was carrying us through those circumstances. Those times when it seemed to hurt the most or the times where you're trusting God the most. And those are the times that God is carrying you through. He's carrying you through the, through the pain, through the loneliness, through the struggle, through the hurt, through the pain of it. And I don't, I, I don't know what that is for you. I know that here coming up in October, it'll be a year that one of the most dear people that I've ever known went to be with the Lord. And I can sit here and I can stand here and I can talk to you about it with God's help. But it still hurts. But I'm so glad that he's with the Lord. He's in no more pain. He's received his reward. And man, he made a difference. Today you might be asking, how long? Where's God in the midst of the, my pain? Where's God in the midst of my struggles? You know, the answer to this question, it finds its apex, it finds its goal in none other than the Lord Jesus. On the night of his, before his arrest, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told his disciples to watch and pray. And what did they do? They did not watch and pray. What did he do? He reminded them, watch and pray. 
Meanwhile, he's praying. He's sweating blood. He knows where he is going. And after he's done praying, one of his innermost disciples, three closest disciples, Peter, will forsake him. Which, by the way, Jesus told Peter he would three times. And what happens? It happens right in front of Jesus. By the way, that hour that John talks about that you see over and over again in John's gospel, that is the hour appointed by the Father for the Son to go and to die in our place and for our sin. There at the cross, Jesus paid for all the sin ever committed ever and that ever will. He satisfied the wrath of God the Father for all time. And I don't know about you, but if you let that if you let that hit you, here's what it does. What you'll realize is it's not about me. It's not about my circumstances, it's not about my pain, it's not about my grief. It's not about what I'm going through at all. Rather, rather, when you see the cross not as an opponent, but as a friend, you really begin to understand what Jesus did. What Jesus was doing on the cross was dying in the place and for enemies so that they could become friends. And so that one day they would stand before him they would dine with him. Which, by the way, Jesus talked about that too. And we will. We will dine with our Lord. We will be in his presence at all times. We will sing his praise. We will hear his word from his mouth. Which, by the way, is sharper than any two-edged sword. And yet we'll also at that time be like him. That will be a time in heaven of unending, unrelenting joy. But for those who reject Christ, it will be a time of unending and unrelenting conscious punishments. You see what I'm saying? You can either have joy forevermore, as the psalmist declared, and we'll talk about that here in about a month or about a, about six weeks, having joy forevermore, that's where, that's where our home is. And Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. So as you process your pain, as you process your hurt, as you process your grief, the, the hard circumstances in your life, remember, that Jesus Christ himself said he goes to prepare a place for you. Friend, Christian friend, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe it deep down? Does your life give evidence that you believe that you are, that this world is not your home? And if not, are you willing to ask the question, do you believe that you have a real home, and that you will go to be with Jesus. Because Jesus says you will. 
If you don't believe that, then you need to ask yourself a question. Do you believe Jesus? Because we as Christians, we believe Jesus. We take him at his word. If you're not a Christian, I plead with you to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. That is where you're going to find hope, and that's where your heart is going to sing, where you can sing. Sing to the goodness of God. Sing of the steadfast love of God because of Christ. Dear Christian, hold fast to the promises of the word of God. Your darkest days are here and your future is bright. Not because of you, but because of Christ. Look to Christ. Get friends around you to point you to Christ. Ask those hard questions. Ask those difficult questions. As David communicates to us, God knows those things. He knows the dark days. Remember, Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 tell us, that Jesus experienced the full range of human emotion, and yet he never sinned. And this is why the writer of Hebrews tells us that he understands us. He understands us. He knows what we're going through when we're tempted, when we're tried. He understands, and yet he never sinned. And this is why we can go to him, trusting him, praying to him, have confidence in him, because he is sufficient in every way to meet all of our needs, both now and forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true, and even in the midst of difficult and trying and, and hurtful circumstances, you are good, and your mercy endures forever because you are a steadfast God. You are unchanging and we thank you that your promises are yes and amen in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, we pray amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.